Amen. We want to thank all of our seniors for leading in various aspects of our service today. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking at the topic this morning, finishing well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus. Uh, with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. Father, help us to run well, but help us to run in such a way, God, that we finish well. Lord, I pray that each of us would be able, like Paul, to get to the final phase of his life. And to be able to say, I have fought the good fight, and I've kept the faith. And may it be to your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Finishing well. Archaeus was a Greek ruler in ancient times, and he was not loved. And consequently, there were many people at many different times who were trying to take his life. One night as he was going to a feast, a messenger approached him with a sealed envelope and said to him, Sir, read this. You need to read this right now. There's an urgent message within. Well, Archaeus responded, he said, I'll take it, but I cannot read it now. Feasting now, serious matters tomorrow. The servant said, no, sir, you need to read this. It is critical to your life. 
Archaeus said, I'll, I told you, I'll take it, but I will not read it now. Feasting tonight, serious matters tomorrow. Well, that night at the feast, a dagger found its way to his heart and tomorrow never came. Folks, it's easy to put off the important issues of life, but the Word of God gives us a constant reminder that you and I must make serious matters a priority. You see, tomorrow for you or me may never arrive. How are we living? Are we living our lives in such a way to finish our race? Are we running our race in such a way that we'll get to the end and we won't have any regrets? Or will we get to the end of our lives and look back and say, if only I had run differently? You know, in much of evangelical life today, we're only concerned with starting well. In evangelistic services and crusades, what is the goal? The goal is to see people get saved. We want to see people walk an aisle and make a profession of faith and be baptized. And don't get me wrong, all of that matters. Starting well matters because as Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Starting well is important, but folks, I want to submit to you today that we need to be just as concerned about finishing well. In fact, in the theology of the New Testament, finishing well shows the authenticity of having started well. Now these are some of Paul's last words. I share them today on Senior Adult Day because even though we have senior adults here who may live another 30 years, nonetheless you are in your last phase in your journey on this earth. You're in what some people refer to as your sunset years. And don't think these words today are just for seniors. Who knows, I could be talking to somebody today who's just in their 20s or 30s, maybe even uh, just in their teens. And you don't realize it today as you sit here, but you too are in your sunset years. You see, the Bible says life is a vapor. None of us knows when the end will come for us. Paul's last words serve as a challenge to how we ought to live our lives constantly because we never know when our time is going to be up. Scripture records for us the last words of some of the most famous men in the Bible. I think of the last words of Jacob. Remember Jacob in the book of Genesis? God changed his name to Israel. As Jacob was about to die, he surrounded himself with his sons and he pronounced that patriarchal blessing on each and every one of them. That was very important to do. That was Jacob's last words. And then I think of Moses. 
The children of Israel were about to go into the promised land. They were on the other side of the Jordan and Moses gathered them together and in three speeches which has come down to us today as the book of Deuteronomy, Moses was challenging them how they were to continue to live for the Lord and be faithful once they entered into the promised land. And then I think of the last words of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 17, in his prayer, he said, Father, what you have given me to do, I've done. I've accomplished your will. And then on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then finally, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Famous last words. Again, here we have the last words of the Apostle Paul. What could we say about Paul's last words? Folks, while his last words here are autobiographical, we see that underneath or underlying these words, he is also challenging Timothy that Timothy would run his race well, that he would finish well, and like the Apostle Paul, that he too would have no regrets. Let's see how all of this plays out in the text. The first thing I want you to make note of today is that we need to finish well by passing the baton on to others. We see that in verses 1 to 5. I wish I had time this morning that I could just camp out here and preach an entire sermon on these verses. These verses alone deserve more attention than I'm able to give them for our purposes this morning. But what I do want you to see this morning is the larger picture in the message of these five verses. It is a challenge to Timothy that Timothy would take the baton from Paul. Paul is passing that baton on to him, to a younger man. Seniors, you need to do this. I hope you are investing your life in others. Listen to Paul's words to Titus in Titus chapter 2 because seniors, these words are for you. He writes to Titus, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God be not reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may be put, uh, so that an opponent rather may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Seniors, those words are for you. Now here in 2 Timothy 4, listen to what Paul is saying to his son in the faith. He's saying, preach the word. It is an imperative. It is a serious command. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. In other words, Timothy, judgment day is coming for you and your listeners, and so you need to preach the word of God. Why do you need to do that? Because as the scripture says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Folks, this is serious business we are about because eternities literally hang in the balance as we preach and teach the Word of God. Judgment is coming because in verse 1 he points out that the king is coming again. And we must all appear before the king. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to see what's happening here. Here's an older man about to die and he is passing this challenge along to a younger man. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's convenient, when it's not. When you feel like it and when you don't. And vary your preaching and some of your preaching you need to reprove. Some you need to exhort and encourage. Some you need to rebuke. Beware of these feel-good doctors who only want to preach good things all the time. They are being disobedient to the Word. As somebody once said, preachers need to comfort the afflicted, but they need to afflict the comfortable. Somebody said to the uh, famous evangelist on one occasion, Billy Sunday said, Billy, do you not realize your preaching is so hard that you are rubbing the fur on the cat the wrong way? And Billy Sunday responded by saying, well then, the cat just needs to turn around. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, to reprove, rebuke, to exhort, to encourage. Vary your preaching according to what men and women are going through in their heart and how God is speaking to them. And Timothy, take this charge very seriously. You need to make haste in this because the days are coming when people will only want to surround themselves with these feel-good doctors who are going to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And so in passing the baton on, Paul is being very honest with Timothy. It's not always going to be easy. Because you're going to face a time when men and women do not want to hear the whole counsel of God. Seniors, the point I want to make is how an older man is instructing a younger man. He is pouring his life into Timothy and helping Timothy to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Seniors, I want to ask you today, who are you pouring your life into? All of us for that matter. Who are we passing the baton on to? Second thing I want you to notice today, finish well by continuing well. Verses 6 to 8. And now this is where we're going to spend most of our time for our purposes today. And the first thing I want you to see is Paul acknowledges the realization of his death. In verse 6, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Now folks, there's a great deal of emotion. There's a great deal of pathos in Paul's words here. He knows that very like this time he is not going to be released from prison he's there because of his missionary activity because he's preaching the gospel he's not in prison because he's done anything wrong he's only in prison for telling other people about Jesus 
And this time he doesn't expect to get out of prison. He thinks probably Nero, the Roman emperor, is going to kill him. And indeed, we know that history and tradition tells us that Nero did in fact do that. He had the apostle Paul beheaded. But Paul writes his swan song here to Timothy with such peace and confidence. There's no fear in these words here. There's no dread. There's only faith. There's joy. Paul is reconciled to the fact of his own death. And I hope that's something that you are reconciled to. Folks, if Jesus tarries, just like I said before, every one of us, one day, we're going to eventually be senior adults and then we are going to pass from the scene. We're going to die. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. You and I have an appointment with death. And in that appointment with death, you and I are going to stand before the sovereign God of this universe and we're going to have to give an account of our lives. Are you ready for that? You know, people tend to live as though they think their earthly life is just going to click on and continue just like it is now. Jesus talked about a man in Luke chapter 12 that evidently he took it for granted that he would live forever. He told a story about a a rich farmer who didn't know what he was going to do because one year he had a bumper crop and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger and better ones and I'll fill all of my barns up and then I'll just sit back in life and take it easy and say, eat, drink and be merry and enjoy life. And God said to him, you fool, you don't even realize that this very night your soul is going to be required of you he thought he had time that he didn't have just because you have everything you need or everything that you want now that is no guarantee that you're going to live long enough to enjoy it do you ever stop and think about that What a shame that too many people do not prepare for something that they know is going to happen. But the Apostle Paul was ready to die because he had met Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Lord of his life. Christ had captured him by his grace on the road to Damascus and converted his soul. What is astounding and truly wonderful about that is the fact that the Holy Spirit had opened Paul's eyes before it was too late. You see, Paul had been a religious man, but he was a lost man. He writes about that to the Philippians. In Philippians 3, he gives his resume of all the wonderful things that he had done, and yet when he met Christ, he said, Now I look back on those things and I count them as lost. I count all of them as lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Paul had been converted. He spent the rest of his days following Christ and trying to make much of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be magnified whether by his life or by his death. 
His life had literally been poured out for the sake of the gospel. He says here in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now those words are reminiscent of the Old Testament offerings. There were certain offerings in the temple that the priest would make that after he offered that, that burnt sacrifice, he would take a drink offering, a libation, and he would pour that out on the altar. It was symbolic that as the people of God, their lives, everything about their lives was to be poured out to the glory of God. And what's so significant about a drink offering was that once it was poured out, it was gone. It was gone. Paul's life had been that way. His life had been poured out for the sake of the gospel. He has presented himself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And that's why he said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you too make your lives a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of service. Paul had lived that way. He's not challenging people to do something that he's not done himself. I want to ask you, is that how you're living your life today? Is your life being poured out for the sake of the gospel? Your time, your energy, your gifts, are you being spent for the Lord? He goes on to say, the time of my departure has come. He doesn't use the word for calendar time, which is chronos, but he uses the word kairos, which means a special moment in time. Paul's kairos, his moment in time, that time of his death had arrived. Now, in terms of chronos, had it not been for Nero's assassin, his chronos time might have gone on for years, even decades. But he realizes that's not going to happen And so now his kairos moment has arrived He says the time of my departure It's interesting how that word departure was used It was used of unhooking an animal from a plow After that animal had worked So it could enjoy a time of rest and refreshment Paul was about to be loosed from his life of service And he was about to enter into his eternal rest John says in the book of Revelation Blessed are those who die in the Lord That they may rest from their labor Neighbors. Paul was about to enjoy that rest It was also used of soldiers breaking camp And packing away their tents And moving on to the next location The Bible describes this life as a tent Paul writes those words himself in 2 Corinthians 5. A tent is temporary. He says, if the tent pegs of this life are uprooted and this tent collapses, then we have a building from God. In other words, this life is temporary and when it collapses, the Christian is going to depart. And Paul is recognizing again that is about to happen to him. He is about to go from the temporal into the eternal. 
Finally, that word was used of ships. When anchors would be raised and the ship would sail out of the harbor, the ship would go from the confines of the harbor to the open seas. Folks, when we leave this life, we go out into a greater fullness, a greater depth. Again, that was Paul's assurance. Is it your assurance? Paul knows his time on this earth is quickly passing and there's no sadness that he has. It's like he said to the Philippians, he said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, Paul is finishing well by continuing well. He's at complete peace. Notice what else he says about continuing well. He points out that he has fought the good fight. Literally, he says, the grand fight I have fought. You see, the word order in the Greek text puts grand or good or noble in that place of emphasis in the sentence. It's not just any old fight that he's fought. He's fought the grand fight, the grand fight, the noble fight I have fought. There are a lot of fights that we fight in life that just aren't worth it. Some of them are those little childish fights like when we were children on the playground. Some fights are just not worth it. I mean, a pit bull can whip a skunk, but you've got to ask, is it really worth it? Some fights just aren't worth it. But there's a fight that is good. It is the good fight, the grand fight, the noble fight. And Paul says, that is the fight that I have fought. Now I want you to think what he might be talking about. Remember as he wrote to the Galatian congregations, he went there in his first missionary journey and he had planted churches and he had spread the gospel there. And immediately after his departure, there was a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers came in and they said that Jesus is not enough for salvation. You need Jesus plus something else. And Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, don't listen to that. It is a false gospel. It is not even a gospel at all. And so to the Galatians, Paul had fought the good fight to the Colossians a group of heretics known as the Gnostics had come in and they said that salvation comes through a special knowledge not through Christ and so he had to write to the Colossians and say all of the wisdom and the fullness of God is wrapped up in Jesus all you need is him to the Thessalonians remember he went to Thessalonica preaching the gospel a riot began and he had to go down to Berea the Thessalonians they followed him down to Berea stirred up the mob there later on he wrote to the Thessalonians he said I commend you for the way you've accepted the gospel in your area through much affliction and hardship he fought the good fight at Thessalonica at Ephesus when he went to Ephesus and was sharing the gospel many people were converted there to the point that it it cut in to the prophets of those who made idols there were silversmiths at Ephesus who made idols for their famous temple of Diana. And Paul was cutting into their business. And so they stirred up a riot over Paul being there. 
Folks, just about everywhere you turn in the New Testament, wherever Paul went to plant a new church, he had to get involved in a fight, but it was the good fight, the noble fight, the grand fight. And you know what? I'm glad the Apostle Paul fought the good fight because when you think about how God used this man to write most of our New Testament, had he not fought the good fight of faith, there might not even be a faith today to fight for. We're to fight the good fight. Paul gave his life to the only cause worthy of devotion. He lived as a soldier of the cross. How do we do that in 2 Timothy 2? He says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. Folks, be careful of what you allow your life to get entangled with. Most of the things you and I get involved in are probably not even worth our time. Next, Paul adds, I have finished the race. There's a race to finish. The writer of Hebrews also uses this image of a race. The Christian is like a runner in a race. The athletes of the day had to be disciplined. They had to be trained just like today. And they had to compete according to the rules. If they didn't compete according to the rules, they could end up being disqualified. Paul compares himself to an athlete who has run according to the rules and he's finished his race. Folks, you have a race and I have a race. And when you think about a race, a race is not always easy. We've got to be disciplined and we've got to train. There are a lot of things that can get us off course if we're not careful. There are a lot of things that can end up discouraging us. I recently read about a discouraging football game. It was the most lopsided game in football history. Georgia Tech beat tiny little Cumberland College 222 to nothing. The Cumberland quarterback, he took the snap. He dropped back. He passed it to the halfback. It was a bad pass. The halfback dropped it. But the halfback looked at those big old huge Georgia Tech guys coming through the line and he wouldn't pick the ball up. And the quarterback said, pick the ball up. Pick the ball up. He said, you dropped it. You pick it up. (laughs) There are a lot of things that can discourage us. Folks, there's a tremendous need for focus. You and I need to endure. Paul had endured. You know, it is easy to begin a race. Anybody can walk an aisle and fill out a commitment card and make a profession of faith. But will we continue in the race and will our lives show the fruit of the authenticity of faith? And will we finish the race? Paul also points out here that there is a faith to keep. The images of a steward. God has made you a steward. Paul said of his life in 1 Corinthians 4, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found trustworthy. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In 2 Timothy 2.2 he said, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. God has given us that sacred deposit of His gospel and we need to be faithful stewards. Are you being a faithful steward? And folks, all of this is not for naught. You'll notice in verse 8 that he says there is a prize to claim. He says in the future there's this inheritance laid up in store for me which the Lord has for me but not only for me but all who love his appearing. I think of what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 about the inheritance that God has waiting on us. It is an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and it'll never fade away. In other words, after you've been in heaven... 10,000 years, it'll be just as glorious as the first day you get there. That's what God has waiting on us. So what's his point? His point is, Timothy, I have continued in the faith and you need to continue in the faith too. You need to run well. Your life needs to bear fruit. The fruit of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that one day you'll receive that inheritance. Thirdly, he says, finish well by getting right with people. Look at verse 11. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. What is so remarkable about that passage is what Paul says about Mark. You may not remember the story there. Let me refresh your memory. Remember in the first missionary journey, if we took time to go all the way back to Acts chapter 13, we would see Paul and Barnabas and John Mark going out in that first missionary journey. And then in verse 13 of Acts 13 the Bible says that John Mark for some reason got tired and went back home he deserted we don't know why was he missing his mama's fried chicken we don't know was the, what, did the going get too rough we don't know but he turned away and he, he left Paul and Barnabas Then you come to Acts chapter 15 and Paul said to Barnabas, let's go out on a second missionary journey and go around all these churches that we visited and let's strengthen them. Barnabas said, good idea, let me get John Mark. And Paul said, no, we're not taking him. Barnabas said, yes, we are. Paul said, no, we're not. And the Bible says there was such a sharp disturbance that arose between the two of them that they went their separate ways. But God used that for his glory. Because, see, Paul took Silas with him, went one direction. Barnabas took uh, John Mark with him and went another direction. And so now there's two missionary teams. Well, you fast forward over to the book of Colossians. Paul's writing to the Colossians. And he says in that list of names in Colossians chapter 4, he says, if John Mark shows up, welcome him. And then right here in this verse, he's at the end of his life. And everybody has left him and only Timothy is with him. And he says, Timothy, get John Mark and bring him because he's useful to me in the ministry. Folks, that is remarkable. Think about it. Something happened to patch that relationship up. 
patch that relationship up to the point that when Paul was at the end of his life, Mark was one of the ones that he wanted right there with him as he died. Is there anybody you need to patch things up with? Folks, God expects you to do that. You can't be right with God if you're not right with people. Is there somebody you're not right with? If you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and finish well, it is incumbent upon you to call that person and sit down with them and try to be reconciled. The Bible says, as much as it is humanly possible with you, be at peace with all men. The last thing I want you to see, finish well by not quitting prematurely. Verse 13, he says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Here again, there's something remarkable that I don't want you to miss. Paul wants a cloak for his body because he was cold and winter was approaching. But Paul also wants the books and the parchments. What's that? Well, in all likelihood, it was the copy of the Scriptures because the Hebrews wrote on parchments. Now, obviously, Paul wants the Word of God as he dies. The Word of God is great comfort to a saint as he dies. But I think something else is going on here, too. What if he doesn't die? What if God extends his life? What if Nero doesn't execute him as quickly as he's expecting? You know what he wants to be able to do? He wants to have the Word of God that he can keep on doing his missionary work even from a jail cell. He's not ready to quit prematurely. I think of Joshua and Caleb when the twelve spies were sent into the land, ten of them came back and said, We can't go into the land. There are giants there and we can't take the land. And Joshua and Caleb said, Oh, yes, we can. God's given it to us. But the, the crowd went with the ten. The majority's not always right. And so what did God do? God killed off the ten with all those that were disobedient. Forty years later, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land and he's dividing up all the different inheritances and Caleb comes to Joshua, he's 80 years old and he says, I'm just as strong today as I was then. Now therefore, give me this mountain. The mountain area was going to be Caleb's inheritance. And at 80 years of age, Caleb still wants to be in the fight and do what God has called him to do. Seniors, don't quit prematurely. We need you. Now this morning as we think of finishing well, again I want to remind you, to finish well, you've got to begin well. You've got to be born again. There's no point in running that race if you've not even been born again. Is there somebody here this morning that needs to come down the aisle in a few minutes and say, Preacher, I'm not saved, I need Jesus. Would you pray with me that God would save my soul? I'd be happy to pray with you.
For those of you who made that decision maybe decades ago, are you still continuing in that race? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you, are you running your course? Are you finishing your race? Are you keeping the faith? Has something cut in on your progress that you need to lay aside? Is your life being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord? Whatever's gotten in your way, whatever's hindered you, folks, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because one of these days you're going to have to stand before the king of this universe and give an account of that. It's not worth it. Whatever is hindering you, whatever is holding you back from a life of surrender and sacrifice, it is not worth it. Put it all on the altar and say, God... Every area of my life, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord. Direct my steps. Some of you in here this morning need to take my challenge to get on the phone this week and get right with somebody you're not right with. What am I saying? Finish well.